the uh, I uh, I'm getting to know Aaron you a little bit. I think you'd be comfortable. I, Aaron Aaron made a, a comment just in one of our uh, conversations texting there a week ago about she she's moved here from Ontario, right? And she's living up. I don't remember Lori Carter. I don't remember her husband. Lisa, sorry, up at Lisa Carter's house up around. And her comment was she moved here from COVID capital of, let's say, Canada or Ontario at least. And she's been in isolation three times since she moved here. So uh, if, if, well, we know a little bit about isolation, but uh, isolating in the home, right? And, and little Wyatt isn't allowed to interact with mom and, and a lot of those different strains and stresses. So... Um, that would be your pastor saying, pray for Aaron and her husband and uh, little Wyatt. Uh, what a lot of different things going on there. Uh, but that's the day and age we live in, I guess. Um, that's what the Lord has us walking through, and uh, he'll lead us through it. Now take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 13. And we are stepping into a fairly big study. So this morning's just going to be uh, scratching the surface, I know I say that a lot, but uh, we're just going to be touching, touching on it, more of an introduction. Um, I have, have included in the bulletin, and there are some still out there, uh, a little bit of an outline that you can work through afterwards, but uh, at the end of the service, or the message, we'll try and condense it to the point, I'd like to read through the upper room discourse chronologically, okay, in order, just from the book of Luke and the book of John, just so that we can see, because there's a, there's a sequence of events that go on here, right? And, and John, who's writing 60 years afterwards, he's including different details that, that as Luke is doing his interviews right there, um, the Spirit didn't lead him to put in, and, and even some of the verses um, with the, the, the event, when we put them in their place, right, it'll, it'll help us give a, an entire picture of this and, and as students of the word right I think that's very very important for us so this morning I just like to begin I'm going to pray and we'll just read through um, the first 17 verses of John chapter 13 hopefully everybody has a Bible everybody has a Bible oh okay I got one back here <laughs> it, it it's a long service when I'm up there with nothing to read no trouble but uh, we're, we're simply trying to equip ourselves, right? So as we read these verses, God speaks to us. Right? It's the Psalm 119. So let's just pray and we'll ask God to do that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this time. That we can set aside and, and, and just look into, into your word, into these truths, Lord. The Bible says that you speak to us through your word as the Spirit illuminates these truths to us. And we can see what we need for our own faith. Lord, as we read these verses, there are many things that need to be corrected in my own life. Lord, as we look at uh, Jesus as a servant this morning, Lord, perhaps there's a, an area in our life that we haven't fully given to you. Perhaps there's things that, that we've been resisting. Perhaps there are things that we need to step into, Lord, if that's between you and the reader. And I pray that as we read this, we would be sensitive to your speaking. I just pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Okay, beginning in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, imagine that. All the way up to this point, he kept saying, he's come from the Father, he's come to the Father, he's come from the Father, right? Now he's going to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Every part of me wants to stop and just explain that agape love. Right? That Jesus loves you with this sacrificial, eternal love. Right? He knows what you're going through. He came for the very purpose of, of providing your way to the Father. This is a love that, that I'm going to say, this side of glory will probably never fully understand. That's how much Jesus loves you. And supper, verse 2, being ended, 
The devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, to betray Jesus. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. Here we see the humility. Here, here we see Jesus taking the position of a servant, right? the, a slave even, right? the humility of, of becoming human right? for the purpose of the cross. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. You think Jesus was doing this standing up? No, Jesus was probably down, down on his knees like this, like the, the, the servant position, right? The king, the Messiah king on his knees, washing the feet of his disciples, washing the feet of his apostles, the, the messengers that he was with. Then he came to Simon Peter. Oh, Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, Master, are you washing my feet? I mean, this didn't make sense to him. Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now. And if you're marking, putting little marks, just underline underneath that word. You don't understand what I'm doing now. But you will. You will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. If I don't wash you, if I don't cleanse you, Peter, you're going to have no share with what I'm about to do. You're going to have no share in, in what God's plan and purpose is here. Peter, you need to be washed. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. Did Peter believe that Jesus was the Christ at this point? He'd already confessed him. Right? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He knew that Jesus was the chosen, anointed one. He believed. Right? He had faith. How does, how does someone receive a relationship with God the Father today? Right? What is the gospel that we preach? The gospel that we preach is that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We believe that he came. Why did he come? For the cross. He came and paid the price for our sins. He didn't stay on that cross, did he? No, he was buried and he rose again on the third day. He fulfilled everything that had to be fulfilled on our behalf right when we place our faith in Christ we are bathed right we're cleansed we receive that that regeneration we become a believer in Christ what's he say here he who is bathed need only to wash his feet do we sin after we're saved right and then I just finished a, a study in first John of course we do when we place our faith in Christ, we're forgiven of all sin, but we still sin. And we have to come to Christ. We have to confess our sins. We come and we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus there, right? We're, we're washed. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Can you see in this verse who he's looking at? Who's in the room with him? Twelve apostles, right? As he looked around, that last, that, those last couple words, who was he looking at when he said, but not all of you are clean? Judas Iscariot, right? Even, even in what you would think there would be the most holy of circles, there was still one who didn't believe. There was still one who, who, who Satan, the devil, had put in his heart to betray 
Jesus. There's a lot of applications in there, right? There's a lot of, 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 of we have to be real, even here this morning, right? Even in many churches, right? Not everyone that comes to church has placed their faith in Christ. Not everyone in the ministries have been, have been washed, have that fellowship, right? Some are living in, 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 in blatant, horrible sin, right? That this washing, this cleansing, this, this purifying is an important thing. For he knew who would betray him, verse 11. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. Everyone heard these words. Right? All, all the messengers, all the apostles heard these words. You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? He's making the students answer the question. Right? Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher, rabbi. Right? The one that has been instructing them for three and a half years now. You call me teacher. You've been listening. You call me teacher. And Lord, master. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for I am. If I then, your Lord, your master... Right? If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, where is he? He's on the floor. If I then, have, have, as your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also to, ought to wash one another's feet. These are the apostles. These are your church planners. These are your future church leaders to establish right? that, that holy holy thing called the bride of Christ. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For if I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Pardon me, let me read that again. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Do you see the humility in that as Jesus is presenting us, the, the, the disciples, the apostles? Right? As you go out, as, as you're going to answer in obedience to what Jesus is calling them to, you're not greater than the master. Right? As you're being sent, you're not greater than Christ who is going to be sitting at the right hand of the Father. If you know these things... Blessed are you if you do them. Does that help in that picture as we read through that slowly? As we read through that slowly. There's four things that, that we want to draw out of this text this morning as we get it. Number one is the humility of Christ. Right, the picture of that Messiah King, God's, God's Son, God Himself in the flesh, on His knees before His apostles, before His sent messengers. Right? Isn't that the flavor of the gospel as we go forward with the truth, as we go forward with the light? There's a humility that's needed here. Also, that servant example. Um, can we browbeat people to see their need for Jesus? No, that's not, that's not how we do it. We present truth. Right? We come alongside. One of, one of the biggest burdens of my heart ever since I surrendered my life to Christ was, was to do it with people. Come alongside. Right? Get your hands dirty. Gird your waist with towels. And then, and then explain the truth to them. Right? And then it comes alive for them. Thirdly, the, the messengers being cleansed. Who is Jesus talking to in this text? The apostles. They were about to carry the light because Jesus was going to ascend. They were about to carry the light from Jerusalem, right? To the ends of the earth, Ju Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They were about to take the most sacred thing going. And these messengers are being cleansed for that responsibility. And then fourthly, the spiritual and physical unity. And, and we'll see that in a second because Jesus is saying there, you need to do this to each other. You need to come together for what you're about to face. Is the world a safe place? <laughs> no. 
You think of all the things the early church faced with Roman opposition and Saul's persecution from, the, from Judaism and, and, and even today, right? The world is not a safe place to be a believer in. And we see, as Jesus is saying, there, you, you have to come together in that spiritual and physical unity in here before you go out there. So as we begin, let's just come back to, to verse 2. And it says, And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. As we step into this idea, I... I <laughs> Again, it's my personality. What did this supper look like? Why does this, did they gathered in this room? And we understand that Jesus sent some disciples ahead to, to prepare the room before them. And I wish we had time to do a, a full study on that. But there were specific details involved in this supper. It wasn't just a supper as we, we do it today. I mean, the average supper probably is... And maybe not so much with us rural folk, is throw something in the oven or microwave, probably French fries or finger sticks, right? And, uh, and then everybody rushes. Does anybody eat at the table anymore? Well, yeah, us rural folks eat at the table. <laughs> We're seeing mixed. But I, I'm going to say there, with, with younger families my age, the table's just kind of collecting things, right? <laughs> And, and, and then everybody just bypasses onto the television or maybe by the time they reach the end of the room, that meal's gone and, and everybody's scattered doing their own thing, right? Isn't that kind of summarizing? And if it's not, praise the Lord in your home. Um, we still sit at the table and, uh, well, I'll be honest, most of the time I'm eating on the fly heading somewhere. Um, but we do like the supper times, we try and, and sit down, even if it is nine o'clock at night. <laughs> but there's something about... Uh, supper right and we think about this this wasn't just a supper this was the pascal meal right this was the passover observance okay this was a a, an eternal um, ordinance that god had given back in exodus 12 and we'll look at this this wasn't a light thing and what the supper looked i think that's the next slide edward what the supper looked like um, and this, to get it in there, I had to shrink the, the numbers here. But the supper would open up. And this is your Pascal or They would gather and there would be a benediction and time of prayer as this, this, this meal opened up. Right? What's a benediction? It involves um, referencing to or reminding themselves of the Father, of the Son, right? of the Holy Spirit. I just thought to myself as I was thinking about what a, a Jewish benediction would have looked like. And I have history books, culture books, and then we have Exodus 12 that speaks to this as well. But, but the reference to be reminded as to who Jehovah is, right? as that self-existent, eternal God. Elohim as is, is God's supreme ruler. And this is what we've been trying to teach the kids, not trying, we have been teaching the kids Tuesday nights. Um, all through the Old Testament text, the Messiah, right? They're opening the meal. Okay, God, you are on the throne. You are the I am. You are the one true God. You are our ruler. You are, you are sending your Messiah. You know, how did the Spirit work in the Old Testament? Right, the Spirit would come upon there. They're, they were recognizing God's hand at work. That's where all things as they prayed and gave song. Then after, after they were done quieting their hearts with their eyes on God in this supper, there would be a cup of wine passed out. Right? And just, just right at the start, I mean, we, we understand and we'll make the distinction this morning between intoxicating house parties that God condemns as sin and fermentation of fruit juice out of the necessity in the Middle East. Right, this wasn't, a, this wasn't a, a frat party. This wasn't a, a, anyway, what the world turns it into. There was a necessity right, for fermenting fruit juice back in, the, in that day. There still is today. Um, I also think there that there's a difference between I need something to drink versus I want the sparkling drink to feel good. Right, there's a difference there. I, I need it because the water's bad and, and, and this, is, this is what we do to survive or I need something to relieve the, the pressure. I need something to, to feel good. Which leads to it's five o'clock somewhere. 
right? Or I, I deserve to have. And that's when we begin to see people get hurt, right? And families start to undergo that damage and destruction. And I know, because I've been there. I spent 10 years as an alcoholic. Right? I know the dangers of, of that I need versus um, the necessity of the Middle East. So after that couple, and I just want to make that distinction because I don't want this, somebody like, oh yeah, that, that, this was a party. No, this was a, a sacred, holy thing that they were observing with God at the, the first and foremost of everything. Um, thirdly, the, the hands of the company were, would be washed by the master of the feast. Okay? So whoever was holding the feast would pass a basin of water around and, and they would wash their hands. Okay? Washing was very important, both for health reasons but as well as it was a symbol of purifying because you couldn't wash your hands and still, let's say, be living in blatant sin. Right? Because it's an examining time. Right? If you're washing your hands, it was a cleansing time. You were, you were before the Lord. You were, you were looking at your heart. And then bitter herbs would be dipped in sauce and eaten. Little packets I'm imagining here. And I invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 12 just to explain this. Because this, this is all knit together. We can't, can't separate it. This is the whole. So Exodus chapter 12. Beginning in verse 3. We recognize that uh, Israel is getting ready to leave Egypt. They've been in slavery for, for 400 years. And verse 3, this is the last of the plague. The, the angel of the Lord is going to come over and strike the oldest of every home unless they paint that doorpost and lintel. And verse 3, Exodus chapter 12, says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. And you picture a little lamb, right? Like a beautiful little lamb. Take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb or too, too poor, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Should be perfect, spotless should make us think there of John the Baptist claim there in John 1 29 behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world was Jesus without blemish Jesus was sinless right Jesus Jesus came God himself came so that the Passover lamb could go to the altar on on man's behalf you may take pardon me a male of the first year you may take it from the sheep or from the goats now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. There's something about death. There's something about killing. There's something about that spilt blood that bothers us, isn't there? I was explaining this to the, to the junior class, right? It's revolting, isn't it? Spilling something's blood. And that is the picture that God has given us. Right, that is what sin is. Right? The, for the wages of sin is death. Right? That sin in someone's life, that, that is, and, and the blood that has to be spilt to cover that, that, that is why this picture is given to us. And that's why the picture of the cross and the blood being poured out for our sin has to be part of our understanding. You're to kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. By faith, they had to believe that God was providing the way for them to be saved. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night. Here's our Paschal Supper. This is our Passover Supper. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat of it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. So nothing left. 
And thus shall you shall eat of it with a belt on your waist and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So if they were to observe it by faith, Lord, okay, this is your way. We will observe it. Then the Lord would come and he would see the blood on the doorpost and the lintel and he would pass over that home. So back to, back to our notes here in John, right? Bitter herbs dipped in the sauce and eaten. We see that. It's a direct reference. Then the lamb itself would be brought in with other portions of the meal. Then there would be another benediction, right? And a second eating of herbs. And this is a sacred thing. There, there's a, a quieting of their hearts as they're observing this. This was a, a serious thing. Then after that, there would be a second cup of wine passed around probably to chase down those bitter herbs <laughs> right I mean it if they say it's bitter I, I've tasted some bitter things nothing to do with Chris's cooking um, poor attempt at humor I'm sorry um, but but bitter herbs right she's a great cook you can tell um, but but I mean a second cup but then you see that there there would be questions and answers concerning Exodus 12 they would open it up to the children Right? They would open up to the home. If you have any questions about what it was like, right? any questions as to God's provision of salvation at that time, right? to be physically saved. And here is your teaching moment, your family union, learning intentionally. Uh, I think too, uh, we observed a, a Sabbath meal on the Friday night with a, an Israel, Israeli couple when we were in Israel. And it was all singing and, and reading. And the kids were involved in it. It was a very special, special time. Then after that, there would be a singing of the first part of the Hallel. And, and we just finished it, but the, the Hallel is, is Psalm 113 right, to Psalm 118. So they would sit down after the question and answer period and they would read through, probably have it memorized, I would think, Psalm 113 and Psalm 114. And if we had more time, we'd do that ourselves. But, um, so then they would have a quieting. Right? And, and those psalms are all about God's provision of salvation, deliverance. So after they'd read through that, those two psalms, um, they'd have another benediction. Again, the focus being on Jehovah, Elohim, the coming Messiah. Then the master of the feast would wash his hands and make, a, it's called a sop, but again, a little parcel, let's say, by wrapping a bit of lamb with unleavened bread and bitter herbs and dipping it in the sauce for each one as they went around the room. Everybody would participate in this. Think of how quiet your heart would be at this point. Right? I mean, everything is, is focused on, on, on God's Word, His instructions, the, the washing, the remembering. Um, I mean, yes, it's a celebration, but, but it would have been a very, very somber, somber time. Each would eat as much as he likes and finish with the lamb. There would be a third cup of wine, again, after washing the hands, and then they would finish by singing Psalm 115 to 118 in conclusion. Right, so here we have the supper. It's, it's intricate in details. And the commentaries, um, they, they, they place there this foot washing, um, third, third point down from the, the top there, as the master, as Jesus, uh, instead of hand washing, he goes around and, and foot washes his disciples. Right? And it's, this is a time where, and that probably maybe explains a little bit of, of Peter's reaction. Whoa, 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 Lord, what are you doing? Are you washing my feet? This, is, this isn't what we're used to, right? I mean, this is, this is new. This is, and Jesus is like, you don't understand now, but you will understand. So I hope that, that, that helps a little bit there as we understand. And, and again, with our text, Jesus rose from supper laid aside his garments, and, and most of the time I've read that, and I was thinking supper was finished. Right? But when you start seeing how intricate this was, and, and I mean, we, we don't... I'm not a scholar in that way. I just look for guidance right? as I read and I study. But as he rose from supper, there was intricate things that they were following. They still follow them today. He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. You see the disciples almost, almost asking the question, what is he doing? What, you know? After that, he poured water into a basin 
began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And we just pause here for, for a couple minutes. This is the humility of Christ. Right? When we realize, I mean, this is Christ. What does Christ mean? The anointed chosen one. Right? The Greek anointed chosen. This is the one, the, the Messiah that they have been anticipating. God himself coming from the Father. I mean, how much more authority do you need than, than being God himself, the second person of the tri, triune Godhead, and becoming that bondservant? Right? Becoming that slave, learning that obedience. And we can't touch on that subject, that picture of Jesus on his knees washing their feet without going to Philippians chapter 2. So turn there just very quickly with me. The humility. And we recognize that we take our application from that. If Christ was humbling himself to the, the place, even the point of death, and, and we've seen that, right? Death sacrifice cost. That is what we're called to do. The humility, right? The obedience. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, um, Paul is presenting this very thing. Right? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, right? Jesus was God, right? Jesus is God. Jesus always will be God. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he is God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're one. But made himself of no reputation taking the form of of a bondservant. If it wasn't enough for him to come as God and take on the form of flesh, be born in a manger and, 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 and grow up as in humanity, right here we see the humility of Christ. He's willing to wash people's feet. Why? So they may believe. So they may place their faith in him. So they may hear the gospel. Right? That, that is the desire that God has. Lay himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Right? We understand that, that Christ right now is at the right hand of the Father and he's commanding us to have the same humility. Right? Death, sacrifice, cost. Right, being led and in, 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 in people all around us engaging with the gospel of the kingdom. That is our main purpose for being here. So verse 4 and 5, we see the humility of Christ. God himself coming, taking on flesh, taking on a towel to, to, to provide that servant's example. And here the focus is all on Jesus. It can't be missed. As we, we read through these, these, these words, <clears throat> what I am, verse 7, um, verse 6, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. All right, what, what were the disciples watching? They were watching their master, their, their, their rabbi, their teacher, God's son, the son of the living God, on his knees washing their feet. And then we come down to verse 12, and he says, Do you know what I have done to you? I think the... Answer would be probably be at that point. They didn't. <laughs> not sure what's, what's taking place here. So things, are, things are out of kilter, not as they ought to be. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And this is the servant's example, right? This isn't just the doing, right, and... and I'm going to say most churches have a group of people that are very good at doing. All right? If there's a job that needs to be done, it's done. Right? And it's done well. Right? It's, it's, it's part of our makeup. Um, I am going to say again with rural because I identify with that. Just how we do things. If a job needs done, we do it. We'll rally around. We'll do a work beat. It's, it's, it's how I was raised. It's what we see in this area. Right? But as we see the servant's example... Right? Washing their feet, drying their feet. 
It's more than just doing. The gospel of the kingdom was going to go to the nations. And again, I just keep trying to combine all the, the great commissions from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, um, making disciples. And we understand that that task of doing, taking that gospel, was not going to be easy. Is it easy to share the gospel in our workplaces? No. <laughs> no, it's not, is it? Is it easy to, to share in our schools? No. Um, is it easy to share in our homes any longer? Right? In some cases, yes, but, but, but in many cases, no, it's not easy. Right? And here we, we begin to see that servant's example is seen as, as with all that humility on our knees presenting truth, presenting the gospel of the kingdom. It's not just doing. Um, a big part of this example and this would be some of the, the quiet meditations for me. As we looked at the supper and all those different steps that were followed, a big part of getting ready to take the gospel of the kingdom is preparing your heart, isn't it? It is recognizing, and, and maybe, maybe I'm the only one in this room that has a hard time with humility, right? but it, it is finding yourself in a place where you're quieted. Right? Finding yourself realizing what I'm doing is not following Christ's example of being on his knees. Right? And in part of that, that getting ready to go out into the world or go into that situation or even go into some of our home situations, right, is preparing our hearts. And for these men, for these 11 men, because Judas would not be part of it, who are going to take the light, who are going to, to start the churches, who are going to be the Jerusalem council, right? They had to understand that their hearts had to be prepared. And they had to do what? Verse 14. You also ought to wash one another's feet. Here we have a task force that's prepared. They're, they're, they're being, being prepared to engage in what they would face. And as they gathered for this Passover meal, they had already prayed. Right? They'd already focused on the Lord as, as one um, in this sacrificial dependent love that we see, right? And they understood that it's in that, the prepared hearts, the unity, it's in that understanding that Christ has given us that example and, and we'll see as we study along that he gives us the helper, he gives us the spirit, he gives us what we need to do that. But it's recognizing that these things need to be done uh, before and as we go out. I'm going to ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 52 just to, to finish up point three here. And it does seem as though John, as he's recording these texts, it's like he's, well, and a lot of the apostles, I mean, Isaiah and Mr. Hogan and I were chatting about a little bit. I mean, Isaiah is almost open in one hand as, as they're writing, and they're going, yeah, and when this took place, this fulfilled this prophecy, right? And as we, we become familiar with these Old Testament texts, I just couldn't get away from how, how similar and parallel uh, verse Isaiah 52, 11 to 15 speaks to this situation right the the the, the prophetic looking looking forward you had the the messengers right and that's what apostle means the sent messengers of god they were going to go with the gospel going to go with the light go with god's standard of righteousness go with the message of the church and here, <laughs> the, the sacred vessels of the Lord. And as I was reading this text this week, and I'm open for discussion and, and lots of Bible study to go into this, but I couldn't help but think there is, Jesus is getting ready to send these messengers out. Right? He's washing them. He's cleansing them. They're already bathed, but they're cleansed. And it says this, Depart, depart, verse 11. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. And I think of myself as the messengers, the, the apostles leaving Jerusalem, right? Shortly after, well, it would have been after Pentecost, right? As Jesus comes back and spends 40 days with them. But I mean, he's sending them with the, the vessels of the Lord. He's sending them with the, the light, the gospel of the kingdom, right? Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. I couldn't help but picture Jesus on his knees washing the messengers' feet, Right, preparing to send them out. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's the fellowship, the identifying. It, it's a, it's a, an important thing here. 
For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For, you think about it. They weren't supposed to go out right away, were they? He asked them to wait. Wait for the Spirit to come. All right, last part of that says, For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Hang on, what, what, a, what a beautiful picture. Because right? we know that the Spirit was promised. We knew they had to wait. Right? We knew, knew the Helper was coming for that. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled to be very high. I mean, we've been reading time and time again the last couple weeks there that, that word glorified. Right? His time has come to be glorified. Right? To be lifted up, to be praised, to be returned to his position. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage... Who's it speaking of here? The coming Christ. So his visage, his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle, or, or my, my study Bible here says, startle many nations, kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. And we see the, the messengers, those that are going to carry the vessels of the Lord, the light, the gospel. Um, you see those, those parallels there. And then lastly, we see the spiritual and physical unity back in John chapter 13. And we actually didn't read it, but um, verse 31. John chapter 13, verse 31. And there really is something, and we'll probably come back to it a little bit next week, but there is something about church unity. There's something about believers coming together because I can't do this on my own. I mean, when the Bible says we're storming the gates of Hades and Satan's world system, that's not something you should even attempt on your own. Right? God has given you a unity. God has given you a church family. That's why we need everyone. And says, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son, John 13, 31, now the Son of God, pardon me, Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in Him. The lifting up, the praise. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him immediately. Little children. I don't have a problem when Jesus calls me that. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, who is He speaking to? Apostles, right? Those are in that room. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. We touched on that a little bit earlier. Agape, that sacrificial, you know, endless love. Right? Love, agape, one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. Why? Because as you go, as you face what you're going to face, uh, as, you, as you stand firm in Jerusalem, as, as Saul the Pharisee is, is ripping Christians out of their homes and torturing and, and, and putting them in prison, by this, as you love one another, as you sacrifice for one another, as you wash one another's feet, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Unity. Preparation, right? Key to the commission that we're called to. So just in the moments that we have left, and I encourage you to read, read through those things again, turn with me to Luke chapter 22. And again, I put this in your, your, your bulletins, and we're just going to finish by reading. Luke chapter 22. And this is the upper room discourse. Okay, we'll catch the flavor. This wasn't just a, and oftentimes we hear it taught and preached and it's just like, and then we leave for a week and then we come back and, and, and we're in a different place again. But in Luke chapter 22, and, and I'm using the same resource we use for prayer meetings, beginning in verse 1, and we're just going to work through the upper room discourse. It's in the bulletins. I encourage you to read it at home. Um, familiarize yourself with it. But in verses 1 to 6, oh, it's right up there. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him. Who? Jesus. For they feared the people. They feared the politics of it. They feared the pressures um, that the government was beginning to experience. For they feared the people. 
Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money, so he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Okay, That's scene number one. Scene change, verse 7. 7 to 13. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. The Passover lamb. Right, We read that in Exodus 12. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? And Jesus said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. wonder what all the water was for. All the washing, right? Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready. So they went and found it just as he said to them and they prepared the Passover. Um, if we were to come in and include that, we won't... Well, yeah, we'll read it. Jump down to verse 24. And again, this is how the, the, the scholars and different sources put in here. Verse 24, just write a little three beside it. Now there was also a dispute among them at this time. The, the room's prepared right there, and, and, and the, the Passover's about to be observed, and the teacher's coming with the disciples. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, it's kind of the opposite of washing feet, washing one another's feet, isn't it? Then he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles ex exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But no, not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I, who speaking, Jesus, yet I am among you as the one, capital O, the one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me. He's talking about the coming kingdom, coming messianic thousand years. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay. Every part of me wants to park here for a little bit, but we've got to keep reading. All right, so that was scene number three. Now we turn to John chapter 13. Okay, and we step into verse 1, and we won't read this. We'll just pick it up in, in verse 16 maybe because we've been here. But again, verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew. Okay, we're, we're in the same scene here. Okay? Verse 16, Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Yeah, verse 16, and we see the importance of what Jesus is trying to show them. Right? The conversation, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? Hold on a second. Right? Humility of Christ. Right? The, the servant example on your knees. Right? This, is how, this is how it's done. This is how the gospel goes forth. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scriptures may be fulfilled. He who eats this bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. He's talking about Judas. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, or know this for certain, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. I can't help but think of those messengers being cleansed and sent. 
When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was a leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. This is John who's writing this, this gospel. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to them. For some had thought that Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. From there, we move to Luke chapter 22. And again, maybe we'll just pause there. That's where it steps in the observance of the Lord's Supper. I encourage you to to take a bulletin with that outline and just read, read through that. It connects, it connects with the, the, the arguments, it connects with, with why Jesus is on his knees to make sure those disciples understand that you don't, don't get it by wanting to, to, to be first and on the right hand and left hand. The, the way to share the gospel is, is that humbled servant attitude, right? And we allow the Spirit to lead us forward and that spiritual, physical unity that, um, that we grow in the church. Amen? Amen. Hey, it's almost like I just gave everybody some homework to go home and read now. <laughs> but that's a good thing. And then next week, next week we'll step back into it and we'll know the flow that's going through that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you just for this morning. Lord, I thank you for this church family. Uh, I thank you that, that we stand firmly on your word. Lord, and when we gather here and we know why we're here, we're here uh, to praise and worship you. We're here to glorify you. We're here to open your word and, and be challenged and encouraged. We're here to come together because we all know people that don't know you. And I'm going to say this morning, we all know people that are, may know you but are struggling with things that are just heartbreaking. And I pray that as we come together, we would realize that, that we are those messengers being cleansed to go back into the world with your truth, your light, your gospel. And I pray that we wouldn't try and do this on our own. That we would be quick to come back. We would be quick to, to, to gather on the, the, the Wednesdays and the Saturdays and, and every, every time the doors are open, Lord, to, to, to just recharge and go back out into the fray. And I pray that you would raise up bold people, men and women, with your light and that we would continue just, just to make an impact on this community. And I pray these things in your precious name. Amen.